Rural hospitals and healthcare providers are the underdogs, facing financial woes head-on, fighting off mergers and acquisitions, and aggressively recruiting talent so they can continue to take care of their families, neighbors, and friends. Often representing one of the largest employers in their communities, rural hospitals are pillars of rural economies. So, how does the underdog win this fight? With bold leadership, innovative care models, and a whole lot of grit. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And, and this, this is Rural, rural Health Rising. Rising. Welcome to Episode 1 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and CEO of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. Our independent rural community hospital is nestled in Hillsdale, Michigan, home of 117 lakes, streams, and waterways. Home of Hillsdale College, your alma mater, in fact. Why, yes, Rachel, and home of Hillsdale Hospital, a full continuum of care health system. We have a state-of-the-art birthing center, an inpatient behavioral health unit, a skilled nursing facility, a full-service hospital, and seven primary and specialty care clinics serving the 48,000 residents of our county. So now that we've established who we are, let's get into why we're here and what this podcast is all about. And really, this is something we've been working on for almost a year. Do you remember when we first decided to do a podcast? Rachel, I remember it quite well. We were in my office discussing the importance of advising our community of the importance of utilizing our local hospital. And you and I launched a discussion about why just stop at Hillsdale County. In fact, uh, nationally, as you and I have looked at the industry, we knew that since 2010, over 130 small rural hospitals in America have closed. And that number is alarming. When you consider uh, the vast amount of resources that are applied back into the community through economic development, building of their communities, typically your hospital is the second or third largest employer in your community. And they contribute to the bottom line of your county's economic growth. And so when we discussed this, it was, let's go bigger. Yeah, it's important to tell our community to use us. And by and large, Rachel, they do. Uh, we have a very good relationship with our community and the surrounding area. But why not highlight what's going on in our industry, which as these hospitals continue to close, we, we lose a little touch of the autonomy that we have in our communities to administer local health care. Not only that, but the economic devastation to these communities. We know a hospital not too far from here that closed years ago in a small community has suffered ever since then. Their schools, their infrastructure, all of it has suffered because they lost their local hospital. And so what we talked about was an opportunity to take this to a larger audience, to share the importance of rural health, what it means to not only the patients themselves, Consider this, a patient who's having an active heart attack, stroke, think about the time delay to get to a facility that may be 25, 35, 45 minutes away. The importance of rural health goes beyond the scope of economy and really focuses on the well-being of the patient. And that is the reason we're here today. And you've also been pretty involved in rural health advocacy over the years, right? That's a big part of where we're coming from in creating this podcast as well. It's that awareness and advocacy piece. 
you know, advocacy began the first day that I stepped on campus here at the hospital, uh, connecting with our legislative uh, leaders in both Washington and Lansing and our state uh, capital. But advocacy is important because when we're out advancing the cause of rural health, uh, we're improving the lives of those in our community. And how is that? Because when we can retain local resources here and we're able to provide state-of-the-art technology and care for our patients, they can get it and receive that in their own communities. They're not driving far. When I consider the 10 years ago, we discussed about expanding our skilled nursing facility. And listen, we're one of a few hospitals uh, in the nation that has skilled nursing facilities, right? Most of those hospitals are not venturing out into those areas. So we're very fortunate, but we always had to look at the perspective of, do we want to take care of those patients in our community where the families can drive locally to our hospital, where we can have a relation with our hospitalist, our laboratory, and really create that full continuum? Or do we just continue to let someone else take care of it in the market? And in the marketplace, they would be 45 and 50 in an hour to two hours away for individuals to take care of their families. And we identified early on, let's advocate. So we advocated for additional beds, and we received those beds. And we have advocated to keep small hospitals sustainable into their local economies. And I think it's been very powerful. Right. Our plan for this podcast is to interview experts in rural health, rural communities, rural education, really from all aspects of rural America, so we can bring attention to the role rural health providers play in their communities and how that interconnects with other critical foundational elements. Now, before we get into the topic at hand, let's start with the why. We will do this with all of our guests and interviews to kick off our episodes so that you, the listener, understands what drives and motivates us and our guest. Rachel. What is your why? I mean, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What what makes you work so hard, which you do, to do the job that you do, and why? You know, in my career, I've worked in public education. I've worked in the business world, and I've worked in healthcare. And I came back to healthcare after a couple years um, working in economic development. And what I love about healthcare is that you really have an emotional paycheck with your job because you know that the work you're doing is having a direct and significant impact on the lives of the people that your organization is serving. So as the marketing and development director, it is my privilege to be able to promote and discuss and advance and share the incredible work that our team is doing to take care of people in our communities, often that are our neighbors our families, our friends, and in rural healthcare in particular, I think there's even more of a of a reward in that because you know how critical it is to fight to keep rural hospitals and rural healthcare local so that people have that access and they have that personal touch and relationship when they're receiving their health care. So we get to be part of doing that. And for me, it's exciting to be able to just talk about all the great things our team is doing. That is very exciting, Rachel. And what about you, JJ? What's your why? Well, similar to you, my why is uh, the same because I come out of an industry that was education. I come out of an industry that was government and law enforcement, actually. Uh, And in all of the jobs that I've held, I'm going to tell you uh, that this is the most rewarding. Now, I enjoyed my other jobs, and uh, I was a leader in those roles, and and I enjoyed it. I wouldn't trade it. Uh, But today where I am, this is the most rewarding for me. Uh, and I've often reflected, my, my uncle was uh, an executive with a telecommunications company, and I remember he came up with a slogan, uh, 
And the slogan was, if not us, who? And if not now, when? And I've often used that in this industry, thinking about, you know what, if it's not us, if it's not rural health, if it's not Hillsdale Hospital, and and input your name of your hospital right here, if not for blank, who would do it? And and often as I reflect upon that, someone's going to take that responsibility. And it may not be someone that I want taking responsibility of my health care for my family or for me. Maybe the, the hospital that would take that over doesn't have high quality. Maybe their patient experience isn't the best. I can control that locally, and that's what gets me up. That's what, that's what gets me excited is to see the faces that I see every day, to know the names, to go to places where I see them in the community, to share in story and, of course, complaint, which is important, to correct things. I, I can tell you that from that phrase that my uncle had, uh, if not us, who? I, I, I shudder to think who that would be. And ultimately, if not now, when? There is a pointed time right now in our country that we need to rise tall. And the reason that we look at a program like this and call it Rural Health Rising is because we need to rise where we are today. And if we don't do it, someone in the industry will, who we may not want, and if we don't do it now, when would we ever do it? And I think the hour is upon us. That's what gets me up out of bed. We also know that rural health care is challenging, and rural providers operate in a very unique and different way. Uh, very tough circumstances compared to many of their non-rural counterparts. Yet, our podcast is called Rural Health Rising. So, Rachel, what does that really mean, and who does it represent? Right. So... What's critical about rural health and what we find is very important about independent rural health providers is that rural hospitals are able to directly and quickly respond to the needs of their communities. And the COVID-19 pandemic has been an excellent example of that because we are small enough that we are so agile that we can move very, very quickly. Um, And so we have the ability to make sure that we are quickly and efficiently responding to the particular needs of the people who live in Hillsdale County, Michigan. And when you don't have that independence or you don't have that hospital there locally, it is harder to maintain those things. And we also have the benefit of we can really see the value in certain programs that may not benefit the hospital financially, but that are absolutely critical to our community. So in a time when a lot of rural health Uh, providers and rural hospitals are closing their obstetrics units. We have a birthing center that's less than, what, five years old, maybe five, six years old. State-of-the-art, whirlpool tubs in every room. I mean, it is is a nice place to be, and it's here in a rural community. Um, And so I think that's really important because that is an example of what we're able to do and provide because we know it's a priority for our community. We know that there are a lot of women in America, particularly in rural America, who do not have access to local safe birthing facilities and obstetrics care. And we're able to make sure that our community still has that because we've decided it's a priority because this is our community that we want to take care of. The same with our inpatient behavioral health unit. We know that there is a shortage of beds for inpatient behavioral health across the nation, but we have an inpatient behavioral health facility here in our rural hospital. And I remember when I interviewed for this job and you told me that, I was like, I'm sorry, what did you say? Because I could not believe that a community of this size 
would make that investment when there is so little of that happening across the country. So I was impressed by that. Um, But that's an example of the kind of thing that we are able to do because we know the needs of our community and we're willing to do what it takes to make sure those things are being provided, even when it's not necessarily benefiting the bottom line. It may be detrimental to the bottom line, but we can balance those decisions and make sure those things are available and use other services that we have to help sustain that. And rural hospitals in particular are often the bedrock of their communities with long histories and generations of patients, employees, and community impact. And Hillsdale is a perfect example of that, right? Well, it is a perfect example. In fact, uh, we celebrate this year 105 years of service uh, to our community, and it's been phenomenal. It's been a journey. Uh, We've survived fires, literally, of this hospital, floods. Uh, We've survived economic uh, depression. Uh, We've survived stock market crashes. Uh, And yet we still stand here. And it's the tenacity of the men and women of this community who are committed to ensuring that this hospital does not close. Uh, When I reflect upon this specific hospital, you know, created uh, really with a vision in 1912, wasn't really put into fruition until 1915 uh, that the hospital was actually, the foundation was laid for the hospital. And had some changes over the years and even of location, uh, but we have landed here on this beautiful campus and we're taking care of our patients, which is first and foremost. And our slogan is, uh, as you walk into the nurses' stations, is every patient, every time, always. And that slogan is a nursing slogan, but it also is, embodies what we're trying to do. And it's as simple as it is, every patient, Every time, always. It's a commitment that when you come here, regardless of your economics, of your social status, whatever it is, all those barriers are dropped. And what we talk about is how can we best take care of the patient. So for our hospital and the strength of our hospitals, when uh, Drs. Midgley and his wife, a nurse, came here, they had a vision for a community in which they could take care of their own, that they didn't have to travel to Chicago and other major uh, cities at the time. And so we've served in that gap for 105 years. And the strength of serving 105 more years uh, is the fact that we can sustain it and work with our local community. And that takes a lot of work. You know, one of the the things that you shared about local communities as the bedrock and uh, the foundation of economics is very true. But uh, we have to reach out to our partners. And our partners are economic development, working with the manufacturing community, having conversations with economic drivers and leaders to say, how do we bring industry and manufacturing to our community? Community. Listen, when hospitals close, it's typically because uh, their payers are gone, uh, their community begins to dry up. And why does that happen? Industries and businesses move out. Uh, the opportunity for those individuals to have health insurance and to be able to provide a uh, health mix uh, is gone. And pretty soon, all other sectors of the economy begin to fail, and healthcare being one of those, because as factories close and as jobs drive up and as people move away or they get on state assistance and the list goes on and on, that has a dramatic impact to the operations of your local community hospital. So, yes, uh, Hillsdale has served as a bedrock, as a third largest employer in the county, uh, second largest in the city. We are leading the way, and we have a responsibility to build those relationships with our legislators uh, in Lansing and in Washington, as well as with our local leaders in health and in government uh, and economic development and all these factors that impact the operations of our community. We are in this together. And where communities fail, it's when they don't work together. How many communities have you worked with, Rachel? And I know you've come out of a diverse background where partners do not want to come together. Oh, absolutely. And that is 
exactly when things break down and communities that can't work together are communities that can't really improve. And that becomes even more important in rural areas. So you've really alluded to it already, but truly the financial challenges facing rural hospitals are significant and they've done a lot of damage over the past several years. So what is it about rural health care specifically that is so financially challenging compared to that of urban and suburban areas? We hear all the time, oh my gosh, healthcare costs are so expensive. They're just going up and up and up, yet rural hospitals still struggle to get paid. So what's the deal? Are rural hospitals just poorly managed? Do we just not know how to handle a budget? Why is it so different in the rural environment than in the urban or suburban environment? Well, it's a great question and something that probably we'd have to spend a few podcasts talking about. Uh, But ultimately, what we know is when you're a smaller hospital, uh, typically uh, in rural communities, you're you're operating in uh, very uh, social economic uh, challenge communities. Uh, you know, where poverty rates are high and where the inference rate for uh, Medicaid patients and government payers is very high. And government payers are not like commercial payers. So a government payer for Medicaid or even Medicare, they're not coming in with the payments that a commercial insurance company would provide to hospitals. And so we unfortunately do not have the luxury of being in a metropolitan area that has all of these payers. You know, most hospitals uh, in larger areas, they, they're represented with a far less amount of government payers. For Hillsdale, Rachel, 70% of our payer mix is a government, Medicaid and Medicare. And so when you start talking about the the, the funding that they give us uh, as a comparative to commercial insurance, like Blue Cross, Blue Shield, and other, other commercial insurances, uh, the number of cases that we see every day in our hospital through the OR or even in our clinics, 70% of those are government payers. And so government payers don't pay us like commercial payers do. And so we have to we have to take this very tight margin. And the margin was 2% for this hospital prior to sequestration. Sequestration, which is 2%, comes along, and now we're operating with no profit margin. And then pretty soon by as you already alluded to, having programs like mental health and other programs that serve the need of this community, those are financial losses for us. But we understand the importance of having those programs in our community. What what we're going to hear on these episodes uh, in the very near future is called population health management. And it's really how do we take care of our population here in Hillsdale? How do we manage them so we keep them out of the emergency department? That's not a proper place for people to receive primary care. But Five years ago, if you were to go ask an individual in our community who utilizes our emergency department often and ask them who their primary care provider is, Rachel, they would tell you it's the emergency department physician. That is unacceptable. It's the highest point in cost for health care. It is not appropriate. So population health management looks at how do we take care of those patients. So we're plagued with the reality that we're poor and we're in these areas where we're not going to have a rich insurance mix and therefore we have those very significant challenges. Now, also on the other side of that is I don't have negotiating powers. So I can't sit at the table like you know, larger hospitals can and dictate what's going to be paid to me by Blue Cross Blue Shield or other insurance companies. What so I sit at the table and they they can look at me and say, well, it's no it's of no concern for us because you're a very small in value in our overall mix. And we don't have that horsepower of say, we don't have that negotiating power. So we're really stuck with what the insurance companies give us. And so that And the government payers too, right? Absolutely. And and so when you add those two factors in, you know, then that starts to discuss 
uh, as we look at why it is a challenge for rural health. And that is exactly why we have faced with over 130 hospitals closing is because of some of these significant challenges that are far greater than just one payer. You know, it's it goes to the economy of the county. It goes to manufacturing and businesses drying up. And all of those things contribute to the losses that hospitals are sustaining. And so, yes, it is a challenge. But I think we're proof that we can commit to controlling our environment, to controlling our resources. Rachel, we meet every day as an administrative team. I'm meeting with my HR directors. I'm meeting with finance. And we're talking about how many patients did we have? Twice a day, my staff are sending out reports of how many patients we have in this hospital and how many staff members are with those patients. And if there's any variance, I want to know why. I'm looking at those numbers every day, and you have to do that. You have to keep your eye on the, on the mark right here on the business model to keep your hospitals sustained into the future. Rural hospitals also face challenges when large systems or competitors buy them, uh, usually because the hospital is in dire financial need. What are some of the impacts we've seen on rural health care after a merger or acquisition like this? Right. We're very passionate about staying independent here at Hillsdale Hospital. And it's not that other systems haven't come to us with interest. It's that we don't have interest in being a part of a larger system or organization because of what we've seen with our peers when that has occurred. So there's even a hospital just a hop, skip and a jump from here um, that we're seeing some of those effects right now that are significant and will likely in- lead to the closure of that particular facility in the future because of some of the issues that have come up when they were purchased by a larger system. Now, some of these specific impacts we've seen, one is the closing of obstetrics units. That is almost always the first thing to go when a major hospital system or health system purchases a rural hospital. And it's because most obstetrics units lose money. And typically, that is also because of the high number of Medicaid patients who are giving birth. Um, And so because of that, you're usually losing money on your obstetrics department. And if you have a much bigger hospital doing much better 30, 45, 50 minutes away, then you can close that OB unit and that small community and just expect people to drive. But Women die every year in America in the middle of childbirth because they don't have access to health care. So when you take that out of rural communities, people die, and it is critical that that's available. So that's one major impact that we see. And that's an example because other service lines and types of health care services that we offer – the same thing happens. So when you have a bigger system that's looking at, okay, we're going to purchase the smaller hospital so that we can better sustain the more specialty type of care services that we have in our larger communities, they're going to pull those patients in for things like heart surgery and maybe orthopedic surgery, some of those things that a lot of small communities don't have. But in the meantime, they're also looking at, well, this little hospital that we bought which of the services they provide makes money and which of them don't. And the ones that don't almost always get the ax. And so that means that patients who need that care can't get it. And sometimes that care can be for chronic illnesses, things that people need on a regular basis that they can't get in their own community anymore. Another thing we know about rural communities is that transportation is a problem. So when you take local health care out of a rural community and you expect people to drive, that's going to be an issue. That is a significant issue. Particularly here, we have a lot of Amish patients. I don't think they're going to want to take their buggies 45 minutes to an hour away when they need health care. 
quickly. Um, so it's important that rural hospitals are able to be specific to their communities, keep the services open that, yeah, they might lose money technically, but they're so important to the community that it's worth it to keep those things. So that's one of the biggest issues with that. The other issue is just that lack of local control. You don't have the ability to move quickly. Everything takes longer. And and I can say this from experience because I've worked at a rural hospital in the past that was owned by a larger health system. And sure, there are some benefits to that because there are some opportunities to share some costs by things like group purchasing organizations. We're able to be a part of that so that we can do group purchasing with other organizations without having an ownership relationship, but we still get some of those cost-saving measures. But what I would see when I was at this other hospital I worked at that was part of a hospital system was so many things were being centralized and taken out of the local community that it became very difficult to continue the relationship with that community, and the community felt it. There were a lot of people in that community who said, well, I don't really want to go there anymore because that's not about us anymore. That's about such and such system. That's about such and such city because that's where they're headquartered, and so that's where all the money goes, right? So there's this perspective that It's not good for the community, and there are often times when it's not. And that hospital is also an example of a community where the obstetrics unit closed after they were purchased, very shortly after they were purchased. Um, So it's important that we think about what are all those long-term impacts when we hear, oh, well, bigger systems can just buy the smaller hospitals and rural health care will be good. But it doesn't always work out that way because there are so many other detrimental effects that it almost isn't worth it. You know, Rachel, uh, to your point, if I could raise uh, the opportunity for us to work collectively with uh, other large systems really is pretty phenomenal. And I've had the chance to work with major systems. Uh, One of those uh, individuals that came to us really came as a contractor to us. And I want you to know the difference between what a small hospital can do in a timeline and what a larger hospital does. And we start talking about bigger is better. And I often hear that. And I will challenge the person who says bigger is better because look at quality scores, look at reinfection. Look Look at at the cost of your health care. That one's huge. Yes. Look at your infection rates, your readmission rates, look at your cost, overall cost of health care. But one of the things that this consultant said, who works for a large health system, is I cannot believe the turnaround time that you can maintain in having some of these major initiatives launched without infighting, sign off by 13 or 14 executives. And a prime example was our hand washing initiative. In 30 days, we went from a 50% compliance of administrative rounds and checking. In 30 days, we launched a campaign at this hospital directed by me, working very closely with all of our leaders. Again, small. We get together in a room. Within 30 days, we have turned that to 99% compliance. Which is, by the way, somewhat unheard of in the healthcare industry. This sounds kind of ridiculous to brag about, oh, our our employees always wash their hands. But in the healthcare world, we know it doesn't happen that way. Right. And so it's pretty just incredible that we were able to do that. And there are a lot of larger hospitals you can go to, and I would almost guarantee they don't have a 99% compliance rate. So, Rachel, to the point, 
He has worked on this project for three years at his major hospital. He has fought barrier after barrier from infection control to directors of this part program and this program to no avail of reducing uh, any type of uh, infection rates and, and in hand washing specifically and increasing compliance. This is where we in small rural health have an opportunity to quickly change what we see that is happening. I think that's incredible. Absolutely. And as an organization, we have maintained a pretty firm stance on remaining independent. Like I said before, we've had systems come to us with interest and we don't have any reciprocating interest. So for us, for Hillsdale Hospital in particular, why are we so deeply committed to that? Yeah, you know, Rachel, I've had individuals come here with arrogance, uh, statements such as it's not if we're going to buy, it's when. Uh, that usually doesn't set too well in a How rule. many years ago was that particular conversation? Well, that particular conversation wasn't too long ago, Rachel. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. And we've had them happen uh, throughout the last decade that I've been here. Uh, periodically, as new CEOs turn over at large systems and they want to make their name, they will come to our small rural community hospitals and tell us what they're going to do. And so they get about as far as the boardroom and we say, thank you, but no thanks. That's not a partnership. That's not a collaboration. You know, acquisitions and mergers for me, absolutely not going to happen. And I know that's a strong statement to say, but I see very little value when a hospital that maintains high quality, great outcomes, excellent patient experience, that's controlling, you know, the cost, monitoring those dailies, producing great results. Why in the world would we have to have an acquisition or a merger? Access to cash, they tell me. For why? If you walk in my facility, you'll see a beautiful facility, well-maintained, often is the, the topic of discussion as we bring guests here. So acquisitions, mergers, and those type of things, no. Partnerships, yes. Absolutely. We have lots of partnerships have and to. collaborations. So please don't understand that this podcast, as we talk about rural health rising, means building the fortress just to say no to anybody. We're building the fortress to say bigger doesn't mean better, and acquisition is not the answer of ruining our local communities and outsourcing all of the local resources. As you look at acquisitions, what happens is it all goes back to the quote-unquote mothership and whoever they have their contracts with and whoever they have their associations with is who wins. And usually that's in the town in which the big system exists and not the little system systems in those rural communities. So for us, our partnerships have been long and have been rewarding here for years. Uh, we look at some of the partnerships we have in telehealth. Mm -hmm. We have Telestroke. We're launching teleneurology. We look at other partnerships that we've had through cancer services and, and EMRs through Epic, and the list goes on and on. We would be crazy to sit here and say that, that partnerships are not necessary. They are. That's the They're strength. They're critical. That's the strength. It's critical to our survival. But what is not is the mandate and the arrogance of leaders and big systems who think that just buying small hospitals is the answer when they know nothing about those communities. We had an individual come up here once, Rachel, and present not too long ago, uh, and individual presented to talk about how they could purchase Hillsborough Hospital. You're kidding. No, I'm not. We are Hillsdale 
hospital, first of all. That impression did not set well. Uh, they didn't know anything about our community. And as these sharks are in the water, and there's many firms right now, and these firms go around and they sell small hospitals. They see that they're suffering financially, so they attack them when they're down. They say, we'll get a sale for you, we'll get a buyer, and we'll get rid of all that terrible debt you have, and all of a sudden your community will be fine, and that is never the case. These individuals get paid high percentages to sell hospitals, and and they come in, and they get huge commissions, and they sell that hospital, and they sell a bill of goods to a community that devastates them for generations to come, and we've witnessed it. They close essential services, mental health services. We've watched it. Behavioral services are needed in our communities right now. They close obstetrics, which is a lifeline of any hospital. We start at birth. Right. And we take that. And if you want to talk about population health management, it begins at that moment. It's cradle to grave. We need to be there for our patients throughout the entirety of their life. And starting there is so important. Critical. It is absolutely critical, Rachel. So for all of those reasons, we say partnerships, yes, acquisitions, no. We like the strength of our local communities. We like the ability as a hospital to make decisions quickly that can transform patients' lives immediately, and it works. We also know that the experience our patients have is absolutely central to what we do, and you'll be hearing the voice of the patient on every episode from Royal Health Rising. Yes, and today we have a story from Summer. So speaking of obstetrics, Summer gave birth to her third child here at Hillsdale Hospital. Her husband is a pastor, and they had recently moved here to Hillsdale from a larger community when they found out that they were expecting, and they were apprehensive about choosing a smaller hospital because their older two kids were born in a much larger hospital in a larger community. This is Summer's story. You guys were incredible from the very beginning. You took a nervous mom who had just moved hours away to a town she's never been in before. You made her feel so at home. I knew from the very beginning that we were gonna be in great hands with you guys. And that is so comforting as a mom to have. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for really caring about your patients. You laughed with me, you cried with me, you held my baby when she was born. You made me feel so special and you made my experience here at Hillsdale Hospital such an incredible experience. Thank you for all you do. You do not get enough credit for all that you guys do. Wow, what a great experience to share and a perfect example of the impact rural hospitals have on their patients and families. Agreed. Now, JJ, this is serious stuff. We're talking about some really important topics and hearing some really powerful stories on this podcast. So why don't we do something fun with our guests at the end of every show? And today it's just us, of course, but that's only because it's our first episode. So my question to you is, what is the most rural thing that you have seen this week? Well, Rachel, the most rural thing. Well, of course, we're in rural America, so getting behind an Amish buggy is very, you know, common. Every day on my Uh, way to work? Every day. It does slow our process up just a little bit. Uh, But driving down some of the country roads are some of my favorite, favorite things to do, especially this time of year when you talk about the fall season. Uh, You know, my, my family, some of them live in big metropolitan areas and Horns are a honking and cars are just screaming on and off the roadway. To drive down a country road and to experience uh, the beauty of this country uh, is pretty phenomenal. But you know something else? As people ask me, I've been in this role now since June 1st as president and CEO prior to that, chief operating officer for a hospital. 
Uh, it's very customary for me to take patients home in my vehicle. Did you know that? I did not know that. Absolutely. So, you know, many people think when you think of, oh, CEO and president, you must be at these, you know, amazing dinners and state dinners. Eh, Have this glamorous life. (laughs) Not so much. Not so much. The paparazzi follows you everywhere. Exactly. Not so much. Uh, It is a wonderful life. I will tell you that. But uh, it, it demonstrates the teamwork that we have to engage in here at a local level. You hit on something in this episode, which is very important, which is a community that has very poor infrastructure infrastructure uh, for public transportation is a community that suffers often. Patients cannot get in to see their primary care because they literally do not have rides. And we know of situations in communities uh, around our county where individuals have no cars and no access to public transportation. And we are oftentimes trying to find rides for them. True story. And so many times when a patient's released from our facility, because there's no public transportation, and if they do not have any family, we don't have taxi cabs here, Rachel. Right. Uh, we have one Lyft driver, and I'm not sure where uh, they're out of, uh, but uh, we oftentimes uh, have no access to transportation. And so uh, oftentimes, uh, if you're administrator on call, you'll get the call. And the call is this. Hi, this is a switchboard. We have a patient that needs a ride. And this is not what you say. We'll call uh, the taxi. No. What you do is you find a way to get that patient home. You do not want a patient in your waiting area, seated outside, especially in inclement weather. You don't want a patient walking home. uh, That's unacceptable. So in many cases over my career here, I would be driving individuals home uh, to their houses, uh, to their apartments, maybe to other family members. It's what we do. And I think it's what makes us rural health. And that concludes the very first episode of Rural Health Rising. So over time, you will see as these weekly podcast episodes come out, we're going to have a lot of really fascinating people that we get to interview and that we get to talk to experts from economic development to education to legislation. We're going to have all kind of people that we get to talk to. So be sure to tune in for our next episode. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next time. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan. Hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering by Kenji Ulmer. For more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com.